Hello and welcome to Connect Podcast, the weekly podcast for the California MBA, featuring movers and shakers uh, in the mortgage industry. I'm Susan Mawazo, CEO of the California MBA, and I'm very happy that you can join us for this special episode. Uh, before we get to today's guest, um, I would like to thank our Connect Podcast sponsor, Incelerate. Incelerate helps lenders close more loans through better borrower engagement. The mortgage industry's most innovative customer experience platform, which leads, delivers lead management, sales enablement, engagement, a robust mortgage-specific content library, and data intelligence, all in one comprehensive and highly scalable platform. Incelerate delivers dynamic technology, strategy, and content for every channel of your business to ensure engagement throughout the customer journey, whether it be your borrowers, referral partners, or any other party to the loan transaction. This dynamic enterprise solution seamlessly fits into your tech stack due to their advanced API connectivity, modern design, and open architecture. Gone are the days of managing multiple and separate systems and having your data trapped in data silos. This innovative platform allows you to provide your internal and external customers timely, relevant information based on data intelligence to build repeatable outcomes at each stage of the customer's journey. Close more loans, improve borrower conversions, enhance customer retention, transform your customer acquisition lifestyle, and create customers for life. For more information, visit Incelerate.com. So with that, I will turn to today's guest. Uh, this is the continuation of our, uh, our podcast theme on legacy in the mortgage industry. So I'm very happy to welcome Chris George and AJ George from CMG Financial. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon, Susan. Hey, uh, so we usually like to start out uh, with how people got in the mortgage industry. Um, so, um, Chris, I will I will start with you. I'm I'm gathering I I can piece together how AJ got there, but um, I would I'd love to hear uh, how you got here. Well, like so many other people, um, Susan, I think that the mortgage industry found me rather than me finding it. It has a pretty strong gravitational pull. Um, uh, you know, before I get too far down, thanks uh, to you and all the folks at the California MBA for asking us to be a part of this thing. It's uh, it's always fun to talk about um, this industry. It's all that I've ever done in my entire life, and uh, it's always fun to be able to give back a little bit to the industry that's been so good to me and to my family. Uh, early on, when I was trying to decide what it is the world was going to let me do in it. Uh, I'm not a I'm not a college graduate, and I I think I basically somehow made my way out of high school. I decided I would go down the path of learning a little bit more about the mortgage industry by working in the finance industry. And a lot of the people in this industry kind of came through the finance industry into the mortgage industry. And I learned pretty quickly how important it was to be uh, a, a participant in this industry. You get to play around with people's most uh, the sig most significant thing most people commit to, which is a long-term mortgage on their home, uh, you obviously have a big impact to their quality of life and that how they're going to live their lives is largely dictated by the backdrop of their home. You know, the home is a really significant component to the celebrations and the times of their life, first day of school, Thanksgivings, Halloweens, et cetera. And so to me, it became something very interesting to be a part of. It wasn't just selling a particular product, but even beyond that, it was selling uh, quality of life and establishment of wealth. Most people will look at their home as the first step to creating wealth for their families. 
And in many cases, a home, obviously, as you well know, is it becomes a part of the family where they just can't let go of it. They, they want to keep the home in their family all their lives. And so as I better understood that, I, it really made sense to me why this was something that fit my personality and also fit the personality of my family. All four of my sons uh, work in the company today, and I think they see the same kind of satisfaction as I did. So great, so great, and just you know, a uh, you know, self-made man, Chris. This was all your uh, your company, your idea, your hard work from the beginning. So, um, just uh, an epic, amazing accomplishment. So, um, congratulations to you for for that, AJ. What uh, I feel like I've heard a story at one point uh, along my George um, journey here that your dad had you get <laughs> different jobs before you could come to work at the company. Is that right? Yeah, he uh, is exactly right. He required us to get two jobs. And the one thing was, you know, what he never forced us to, even before that point, um, he never forced us to say, hey, you should explore working at the company. It was never something. In fact, I think it was almost at the opposite at times when it was, hey, you go figure out your own thing, go explore what you'd like, find your passion and do what you're passionate about you know, uh, type of mentality. Uh, and growing up, you know, my, uh, as you mentioned, um, my dad and how he started the company he started out of our garage. And so I remember my father working in the garage and, uh, I remember how long he would work. And once he made it out of the garage, I remember how, uh, obviously I didn't get to see him as much. And so what really honestly got me curious about wanting to work for the company is I said, well, my dad and I like a lot of the same things, you know, and if he's really passionate about this and he loves it, um, he's doing something that's taking him away from his family, whom I know he loves very much. So if this thing he loves that much uh, is taking him uh, away from his family, who he loves even more, I know I'm going to be interested if he likes it. And so uh, that's when I approached my dad and then he said, you have to go. He said, no, he said, go get two jobs. And then we went back and forth. And then I ended up getting uh, the first job, which was to work in the food service industry, which was um, uh, my best friend and I got a job at the, our favorite deli in town, uh, Italian deli. Had to do that job for a year. We came back. He said, what'd you guys learn? Um, I said, <laughs> I think I said something like, um, you know, I learned what it was like uh, to make a mistake and, and have to pay for it, you know, because... You have mm -hmm. to make it right by the customer. And right. he said, he said, almost right. And I said, okay, well, almost. I thought it was what I learned. Um, and he said, uh, what I wanted you to learn, AJ, was what it was like to serve, what it was like to treat people the way they wanted to be treated. So do unto others as they would have done unto them, which is the platinum rule, which is, which is what he was trying to teach me. Um, you know, and what it's like to deal with people, among other things. Uh, the second job, I said, okay, can I come work for you? He said, no. I said, okay, what do I have to do now? He said, you have to go get a job in some sort of manual labor type construction uh, field. And I mean, I know this may shock you, but I don't work out as much as I should. So it was like, I don't know where I'm going to get a job at, like, I'm, who's going to hire me? And so it, uh, at the time, my dad just purchased our home, um, which was just a piece of land slash kind of still is with a few buildings on the, uh, there now. Uh, but uh, 
getting it livable. And uh, he had construction crews that were coming up there and, you know, uh, it's hard work. And so we did that for what felt like is still ongoing. But, um, you know, when I said, okay, did that for, you know, a full time for a year. And he said, what'd you learn? I said, uh, I think I said something at first, like, uh, you know, how lucky I am to be in an air conditioned uh, building because I mean, it's hot at times and it's just hard work. And, uh, I said, it's now I, dad, what I learned, what it was like was, uh, what it was like is that you didn't know, need to know how to read or write or even speak English. It just mattered that you got your job done and you got it done by the end of the day. And he said, uh, AJ, what I wanted you to learn was what it was like just to genuinely work hard, hard work, good old fashioned hard work. And uh, if somebody told you to take that pile of rocks, move it over there, you, that, why? It doesn't matter. Do right. it. And then you can go home when you're done. Wow. Yeah. Great. And then uh, I was, I got interviewed. I got an interview. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I think, he, I think he was excited about getting into a place that had air conditioning, you know. <laughs> Clearly. Clearly top of the list. Yeah, those are uh, those are great life lessons for sure. Um, I have uh, I've done both of those sets of jobs in my lifetime, and I can definitely say that I ended up um, I ended up in a preferable preferable position. Um, you know, over <laughs> the years that I've done this job, I've been very fortunate to know several of the employees at CMG, Chris, and uh, your company has very unique corporate culture, which I think is really important for just longstanding you know success. I love your your motto. Um, every customer, every time, no exceptions, no excuses. Now, I will preface this by saying it's not my favorite Chris George saying, because my favorite Chris George saying is early is on time, on time is late, and late is never acceptable. For real, I started this 20 minutes early because I'm like, Chris is going to get on and I'm going to be late and I cannot have that. It's like scared straight, AJ. This is nine years. I was just ahead. happy I beat him. I'm telling you right now. As long as I show up before, yeah. But I love every customer, every time, no exceptions, no excuses. So can you tell me a little bit about that statement for CMG? Yeah, I can. And a couple of comments about uh, um, early's on time and on time is late and late's never acceptable. You know, the thing about our industry, particularly about sales in our industry, is that I try to teach our salespeople and frankly, all of our employees to be prepared in such a way that gives you a, a distinct advantage in the process. One of the ways to be prepared is to be on time, right? I mean, so you're going to drive an hour to be to a particular appointment. You know there's going to be a traffic. Get there 10 minutes early. Don't get there uh, two hours early and sit in the waiting room because all you do is make your appointment nervous that you're sitting in the waiting room for two hours. So get there 10 minutes early and, and be prepared for that meeting. And then what I try to tell people, which gets me to your last thing, is I try to tell people to know more about the person that you're sitting in front of or on the phone with, or in this case on a Zoom call with, then they know about you. And what it shows very quickly on is that you were prepared for the meeting to be there on time, but further you were prepared for the meeting with the content of the meeting. Mm -hmm. So it's important to be able to say, oh, Susan, it's nice to meet you. I understand you have a walnut orchard. How does that work for you? Well, immediately you may step back and say, hey, how do you know that I have a walnut orchard? You know, In today's Google environment, the ability to search anything about anyone, you should be able to find out something that might be pertinent to that individual, either through LinkedIn or Facebook or some other social media. What it shows me quickly on is that 
this person took enough time and had enough interest in me and what was going on here, the relationship that was starting, is that they did research on me before they got here. And oftentimes I'll ask people, okay, so you want me to sign up with your company, fill in the blank, whatever that particular service is. What research did you do on the company? And they get big eyed and they say, well, you know, I know how much volume you guys did last year. That's great. That's easy. What do you know about us? What do you know about who we are and how we do what we do? Well, I know that your youngest son had a liver transplant. Okay, well, how do you know that? Well, because I went online and it looks like you guys support the UCSF University of California, San Francisco Medical Center, and you were very involved with liver transplant and transplant to patients that are particularly pediatric. Good. Well, how, so you obviously spent time looking for me and learning about me. You're somebody that I want to know more about because we don't have a relationship and you have that much interest in me. Think about the kind of relationship that we'll have once we do have one. Right. And it relates to every customer, every time, no exceptions, no excuses. I think that's a, a statement that makes people feel like you're the only loan that I'm going to close this year. I want you to feel like you're the only loan I'm going to close. Now, obviously, most people know you're not going to stay in business to close one loan. We did 31 or $32 billion last year in production, right? Total production. Um, it, it would be great if we did one $31 billion loan, just one loan, you know, and we would watch that loan like crazy, right? Everybody go home after that. <laughs> yeah, we go home after. Get it done in May and we're done. So the, the truth is, it's, that's not the way business is, but I want you to feel that way. I want you to feel like you're it. And what it does internally is that it removes the excuse. It removes the, the, uh, the, the example of saying, hey, listen, I didn't go all the way to do everything I possibly could do to make sure that my customer was happy and make sure my referral source is happy and make sure my business partner was happy. In our company, we have a thing called leapfrogging. So anybody can call anybody at any time for anything. And they do, by the way. They call me all the time. I'm sitting here right now. My phone's ringing. And one of the reasons I know it's ringing is because I got a loan officer in Texas that wants some help on a tough transaction. Okay, so this is a singular loan officer, and we have a thousand of them in the company. This is a singular loan officer calling the president of the company, and nobody's going to get in trouble. Nobody gets bonked over the head with a two-by-four saying, hey, what are you doing jumping out of the chain of command? Because my job is to remove the obstacle or take advantage of the opportunity. And with that, I don't want to not do everything I possibly have to can do in order to do those two things. Uh, I think we get bigger, you know, you get bigger as a company and you become more, you know, like you're in the corporate office and the corner office and all that crap. And it is crap, right? At the end of the day, if my customers say, man, I'll tell you what, that was the smoothest, easiest transaction I have ever done. They're going to tell their friends, family, coworkers, colleagues, and I'm going to do more business by referral. Right. Right. I love that. And I think, you know, you make a great point about finding out things about people, just taking that time to be a little, a little bit more personal. I think in the age of social media that we're all, you know, we're all so used to, I think having that as a priority does set anybody apart. And that's a that's a fantastic point. Um, to talk a little bit about the market, refis drying up in, uh, in 2022, um, innovator products I think will be very key for, uh, for lenders to be considering. CMG has the all-in-one loan. Can you kind of tell me a little bit about the journey of that product? Yeah, I'll take part of that and I'll give the rest of it to AJ. So the journey of the product started back in 2001 and 2002 when I was invited to speak down in Australia about the differences and the similarities of the mortgage banking industry in the United States versus that of Australia and New Zealand. 
And while I was down there, I discovered a product that they affectionately call the all-in-one. It's a, They call it an offset account in other parts of the world, which essentially combines your checking account and your mortgage together. So money that sits in your checking account that's dormant doesn't work for you, works for the bank. Um, that money now gets to work against your mortgage like a giant sweep account. It gets swept nightly against your mortgage, lower balance, less interest, less interest, more principal, and your mortgage pays off faster. And so I came running back to the United States going, ah, this is a great loan. This is 2000 again, one, two, and three. When everybody and their brother wasn't talking about pay down, pay off, it was more about equity harvesting and leverage and, you know, buy all, what are you going to buy? And you know, some of that stuff led to what happened in 07, 08, and 09. But the truth is, is that we finally launched the product in 05, and it's been really, really fantastic for a number of people. It's not the right loan for everybody because not everybody has positive cash flow at the end of the month. There are people that do live paycheck to paycheck. But if you do have a positive cash flow and you have a little bit of money in your checking account, think about it this way. Whatever's in your checking account right now would be the reduction of what's against your mortgage right now. And so that dollar amount would reduce the amount of interest you have to pay. And of course, more of it goes to principal, your loan pays off faster. Typically, somewhere between 10 and 12 years on a regular 30-year mortgage. Why do we find that interesting? Is that people are trying to figure out a way, a couple of things. One, I think the, the housing meltdown taught us a couple of things. It's hard to go into foreclosure on a home that doesn't have a mortgage on it. It's possible. I mean, you could go into a tax default scenario. It's a much different thing than a foreclosure. But if you don't owe anything on your mortgage, if you don't owe anything on your car, you don't need a lot of money to really live. I mean, if really, if you have those two things paid off, you can have a pretty decent life and not make a ton of money, right? You can actually retire. And we have an, a, we have an industry and frankly, we have a, a population that's aging and saying, hey, listen, may, am I going to be able to retire at a time I can do something, still be able to do something and, uh, you know, have a couple of bucks at the end of the day to be able to do something with it. If COVID has taught us anything, if COVID has taught us anything, is that the guarantee we all thought we had in life isn't a guarantee any longer that we all thought that we were going to live to be whatever based on the historic health of our family. Well, COVID was the major cur curveball. It said to us, it doesn't, it doesn't matter any longer. You can get hit, hit from something that no one expected and suddenly you find yourself in the hospital or worse. So I think people are trying to look at, quote, retirement, second homes, and frankly, living life. I might have enough. Right. And if I can just get out of debt, I do have enough and I can go on and live my life. I think what you'll find interesting in the marketplace, the market's also embraced it. When we do a fair amount of this business, AJ's just about ready to, to put together our first security on the product um, and put it into a mainstream product. So it's, it's been pretty exciting. Yeah, one thing that uh, I'll uh, jump in there and add to my dad. Uh, one of the things that he said that I, I really like that he says, particularly around the all-in-one, is it's not the right product for everyone, but it's the right product for everyone to know about. And I feel like that's a really good way to open up the dialogue and um, start to get uh, borrowers who uh, this product would be really beneficial to into it and understand it. Um, uh, in, in relating to just product and mar uh, market-wise, uh, my dad alluded to it, and uh, you know one of the things that he's taught all of us on the executive team, and in particular me, it, um, I've worked here for 16 years. I started here in 05. So, um, you know, I got to see some of those events occur um, at different stages of my career while at the company. And, you know, the one thing that I've learned is when you need 
something within the mortgage industry and you you find out when you find out you need it you actually find out later uh uh what it should have been implemented meaning you find out today that you need it and when you need it you should have had it yesterday and so to my dad's point about being prepared you know and being dynamic and being able to have whether it's liquidity outlets from uh product or uh, uh treasury funding facility wise or uh just being a well-rounded company and being able to uh take advantage of any type of market it's a very uh always found that to be a really interesting product and i i agree with you chris i mean if covid's done anything it's made people just rethink so many things and quality of life and having that like let's make a better plan to kind of get you know take care of our mortgage and our our biggest household expense and do it in an efficient way it's a fantastic time i think for for products like that so we're entering a new era with the CFPB under director Chopra. What do you, uh, do you guys think lenders should be prepared for as areas of fo particular focus under his leadership? I think there's a couple of things that uh, you should be prepared for. I think that number one, that um, uh, director Chopra is, is gonna be looking at fair lending pretty heavily. I think that they're going to be wanting to make sure that the price that you're giving to somebody in Federal Way, Washington, is the same price you're giving to somebody in um, in Dade County, Florida, uh, or Cook County, Illinois. I think, or even Alameda County, California. There's got to be consistency on how you treat people and how you price those loans for those people. Uh, it should not. There should be. You should be agnostic as it relates to uh, a loan file. You should not be uh, paying more for a particular kind of product and you shouldn't be paying uh, less for a particular kind of product. And you ought to have systems in place to monitor these things. I think that a lot of people, at least at our company, I always look at it, I've always wondered why anyone would discriminate against anybody. I mean, I'm a lender, I make loans, I don't care if you're coming from the moon, doesn't matter to me. If you're qualified, I want to make you a loan that you can stay in your home or actually become a homeowner. So it never has bothered me to make loans in any level of the lending um, ecosystem. But I will tell you that the system that the, the, the Bureau is very focused on is whether or not you've got a system in place to check to see if you're following the rules and if and check to see all of your people believe the same way of the way I just discussed. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the part that's gonna be the biggest uh, area of concern for the Bureau. Yeah, you might be doing it correctly in this part of the country, but are you doing it correctly everywhere in the country? So your oversight is going to be very important to what your policies and procedures are. That's the first thing. The second thing is, is that I think our industry has been plagued with a lot of challenges in servicing. I think that servicing is very difficult because keep in mind, I mean, listen, I've been, I've been, um, awake and present through this whole thing as most of the people listening to me have been it was a matter of days if not weeks that we went from hey listen we're talking about doing some kind of forbearance to we are now forbearing all mortgages in the united states and right. all you have to do is say the word covid and you're automatically forborn if that's such a word so my point simply is is that servicing and frankly the entire industry doesn't spin on a top like that but i'm going to tell you they're going to be critical they're going to be critical of whether or not you gave forbearances as they were requested and as as the law stated they should have been and further 
have you followed that process as we are slowly coming out of this forbearance world? I think servicing is a big concern for the Bureau. I think a lot of the people that are within the Bureau today have experience with servicing uh, concerns as it relates to student debt and payday lending. So they come from that mentality of, did we, were we right with servicing for student loans and payday lending? And we're just gonna apply that mentality to mortgages. And that's they don't align ideally, but they partly align from an ideology perspective. So if, you, if you're servicing your own loans, you should know what you're servicing. If you're servicing yourself or if you're subservicing, you should know how that process has been going. And if in fact you are lending all around the United States, you ought to have systems in place to make sure that you're consistently lending uh, to people in a fair and equitable way. Consistent policies and procedures on that. That's that's good advice. I think that's consistent and, with uh, kind of what. Them. It's one thing to have policies and procedures, right? But it's it's another thing to actually read them and do what they say. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> you know, one thing I want to share with our listeners uh, is that uh, when Chris George was on our board, um, he was served for nine years. Uh, he was chair of the California MBA. Um, and gave us some great leadership through some very difficult years, by the way. We're talking about the financial crisis and um, kind of those years coming out of it where, um, you know, this association, along with every other state MBA, um, took, a, took a real beating. So Chris's leadership helped us um, navigate those, um, those difficult years. And I'm happy to say that we're, uh, we're in solid ground now. But one of the key things I think that Chris brought to the association um, he founded our Future Leaders Program in the format that it is now, which is in partnership with Pepperdine University, offering leadership, true leadership development courses and curriculum. Um, and uh, it has been a, a cornerstone of our association ever since and is just growing. Um, uh, we, add, we add new things to it every year. AJ, I know you are an alumni of our Future Leaders Program. So I kind of just wanted each of you to share your thoughts on uh, the importance of mentorship and um, you know, really supporting those rising stars with any, anyone's in an organization. Well, so I'm gonna to toss this to AJ because he's, a, a, as you mentioned, season an alumni person that's gone through it. I'll just give you a quick overview. Both of my parents, his grandparents were teachers. My father spent 39 years in the Richmond Unified School District here in Northern California. And my father was always bothered by something. He always thought that teachers were underpaid. And he said, you know, listen, if you think about people's success in their life, they almost all successful people can point back to either a teacher or a coach or a mentor that really took extra time and said, hey, listen, you're struggling here. Let me show you the right way to do this. You can see that with athletes. You can see that with professionals. You can see that throughout this industry of people that said, you know what, I'm going to show you a better way to understand something. And because of that extra time, that extra teaching time, a lot of success stories uh, all around the world. Um, one of the things my father was bothered the most about is when somebody would make this joke, and you've all heard it before, and it says that those who can do and those who can't teach. It bothered him because he said, listen, the people that are making that statement are only able to make that statement because probably some teacher taught them that very statement. <laughs> so what I think we tried to do when, with my tenure at uh, the California MBA was trying to figure out a way to mentor some young people into this industry. I mean, look, I mean, look, I got gray hair, man. I'm telling you what, there's a whole bunch of us that look like me, right? That are Dave Motley, a former 
chairman of the MBA said that this industry is largely male, pale, and stale. And I, I said, because of that, we may be frail. And so we need to bring in some young people. And I think that's where AJ and his entire group come into play. This is, this, you know, I know this is hard to figure out, particularly as a parent, but this is your future here. I mean, this is, this is the future of our industry today. Folks like AJ and his colleagues and folks around the country that are thinking differently about mortgages and how people get them when they get them, particularly how they, how much later in life they get them. And so I think you, I think AJ's commentary regarding what he got out of future leaders is important. Thanks, Matt. Um, and it, it, I was, first of all, I was really excited when my dad brought this to me and said, hey, here's a program that you should look at doing. Uh, ended up doing both the uh, California Mortgage Bankers uh, program as well as the National um, Mortgage Bankers Association program, uh, both of which were awesome, by the way, and by far one of my favorite memories and um, still have uh, long-lasting relationships from each of those programs um, that are now friendships. Um, and so I'm very proud of those. And one of the things that I really liked about the Future Leaders program was A, the diversity of the types of perspectives that are in those programs. You have lenders, you have maybe folks that work for um, insurance companies or uh, companies that finance or provide liquidity to our industry in some other way that's highly critical. And uh, you all come together uh, and it's a very uh, group style type of format, which I really like that collaborative environment. And uh, it also teaches you less about the transactional day-to-day -day of, hey, okay, so you've got to disclose a file, then you wait this period, and then you send out this document. And then once this occurs, then you have to resend out another document, and only these things can change after. It's less of that, which is important, but I think it's really more talking about structures and the composition of mortgage companies, which I don't feel is an education that is really uh, easily available. <laughs> Um, it's not in school, and that's something I really love. Right, right, and it's an incredible program that we're still very fortunate to have thriving in our association. AJ, what advice would you give to a person, a young mortgage professional, just kind of starting their career? Uh, I'd be curious about everything, and uh, if somebody tells you no, it's okay to verify it as to why. Right, right. AJ's um, not using my favorite line. I always say that the last name George, that it's incumbent upon me to be curious. So to that end, you should ask as many questions as you can, and you ought to question everything. Mm -hmm. The of the who, what, where, when, why, and how. Ask why. That why do we do it this way? Because we've always done it this way. Well, then why have we always done it this way? Right. You should push that norm. Wrong thing to say to my dad. What's that? Yeah, I know it's that's the wrong, wrong, wrong thing to say to my dad is we've always done it this way. No, I think uh, it's the curiosity is a very great answer. Yeah, yeah, that is. Uh, so, you know, we talked about the the start of CMG all these years ago, you know, back when there really was basically no real technology in the mortgage industry. And now, of course, that's, you know, the implementation of technology is key for for every lender. What areas of technology adoption do you think will be the highest priority for your company this year? Well, I think so. They have been the highest priority. So we've we've 
we look at technology as a way to make things easier for the loan officer to be able to do their job quicker, simpler, faster. I think that a lot of times what happens in a lot of different companies is the loan officer is trying to double as a salesperson and figuring out ways to generate business and communicate with their referral sources and uh, make sure that the customers are being satisfied with the things, the questions that they have. But equally, then they deal with some more menial tasks, tasks that are really more processing based tasks, tasks that are about assembling of the paperwork and making sure that the documentation is properly uh, signed, et cetera. And I think technology is going to do some things in that area. It has already, right? It makes it a lot easier to be able to figure out if you've got a qualified customer. It makes it a lot easier today to be able to determine whether or not you have to have an appraisal or not. It makes it a lot easier today to determine what the borrower may qualify for or not qualify for. What we're trying to do is make sure that that information that is available for loan officers today is available for the customer directly if they want to source it themselves. So communicating, connecting to customers is a priority for us to make certain that customers not only understand what they're doing, but even further understand what they're doing more than just today, next week, next month, next year, next decade. You'd mentioned before the all-in-one well, the all-in-one has a particular simulator that simulates what your loan will look like in comparison to a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage. Mm -hmm. So you can see this is how much I'm going to pay at a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage, and this is what I'm going to pay on an all-in-one. And here's what's going to happen to your balance over the next 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12 years. It's my opinion, and it falls in consistency with the comment I made a moment ago about my parents being teachers. This is an educational industry. Yeah, I get it. We're salespeople, right? We're trying to sell people on the idea of why they should use us or our company. But the simple truth is, is that the education that we give to our consumers, it gives them power to be able to make an informed decision. And by the way, all regulators want us to figure out a way. Then I'm not just talking about the Bureau. State and federal regulators want us to figure out a way to make sure our customer actually understands what it is they're doing, what it's costing them to do it, and what could happen if something went wrong, lost their job, have to uh, modify their mortgage, et cetera. And they want it to them in such a way that they actually understand it. There's still a problem in our industry, which I think you know all know about. And that is when you get to a point when you're signing papers and you're signed your name the sixth or seventh or eighth or ninth time, you just begin signing your name, right? You're not even looking at the documentation. We think that that documentation that otherwise would have presented to you at the end of the transaction, the close of the transaction, which we think is the beginning, by the way, that's when we have a long-term relationship with the customer. But at the close of the transaction, we like to move, move that stuff way up front, give you way more time to understand the documentation that you're going to be signing, rather than spending 30 minutes in a title company trying to understand what you're signing because you have a certain deadline to sign it to be able to record on time. About connecting to customers, about educating those customers and about empowering the loan officer to do their job, which is educating the customer. Right. I think that, yeah, that customer experience is what everybody is trying to, you know, use technology to leverage to improve the, um, the, entire, the entire journey of it, uh, the, the loan transaction. So um, kind of wrap up here with, you know, you've both been engaged with our advocacy efforts, both with the California MBA and of course the National MBA. Um, I know you both understand the critical importance that we play uh, on behalf of the real estate finance industry. Can you share with lenders maybe listening uh, about the importance of them supporting um, our associations uh, for the advocacy work that we do? 
I can, and then I'm gonna let AJ talk about this too, because he's also been part of both uh, the state and federal advocacy efforts. So to be clear about what advocacy means, I, I, it was when I first got into the California Bay, there's an advocacy, and I'm like, what does this really mean, right? What is advocacy? Who am I advocating on behalf of? And I quickly understood that advocacy is more about, about advocating on behalf of those that may need advocates, if you understand that point. And so I thought to myself, okay, is a small independent mortgage company capable of hiring a lobbyist? And the answer is no. Is a small independent mortgage company capable of having an audience with influential members of the state assembly or Senate, or for that matter, the federal uh, Congress or Senate? And the answer is no, that you have to participate in something bigger and you have to participate on a couple of fronts. You have to do two things. One, you have to give your time and a little bit of your money, not a lot, just a little bit of your money. Because what's frankly more valuable is your time. If you're going to give two of those things, you need to attend your state advocacy day or your federal advocacy day or week. And you need to let your voice be heard to the people that are interested in hearing their constituents' voices, yours, the, the voice of those people that are representing you either in the state or in the federal uh, uh, um, legislative basis. They want to hear their constituents' voice. You also have to write a check once in a while because they have things that they have to do and you need to participate in writing a check. It's not a huge check. By the way, small checks altogether end up being a big number. So it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's consistently participating and advocating on behalf of the industry. Advocacy also means advocating on others that are not as fortunate. And in particular, advocacy means advocating on homeowners who might have children who are going through some type of critical or terminal illness. And that's the Open Stores Foundation, the California Association of Mortgage Bankers and many other state associations put an enormous amount of effort toward the Open Stores Foundation. Look, we put people in homes and we keep people in homes. That's our goal. That's our goal as an industry. And we ought to be able to advocate on behalf of those people that run into a rough patch by helping make their mortgage payment or the rental payment because their focus is where it should be on their child. And honestly, it's hard to do because people get so caught up in your day-to-day -day business. Got to have people like AJ and, and your entire team, Susan, to be able to continue to say, hey, listen, we're still here. We still need your help. We still need your time. We still need your, your economic contribution because it makes a big difference. AJ, you want to add? I completely that? agree. Uh, yeah, thanks, that. Uh, I completely agree. And one of the things that, you know, uh, this was actually one of the first conferences I went to with my dad was an advocacy conference. Um, and it was, uh, you know, I would recommend that everybody go, everybody needs to experience it, everybody needs to go lobby. And what it really taught me, uh, uh, and also it made me um, uh, realize and much more of it, of a, uh, front vision type of way is, okay, so uh, the, it's either an education standpoint, as my dad mentioned, you know, we are the professionals and sometimes folks may just be looking for, they may make some sort of rule or some sort of uh, change that uh, may have the, a different intent and being able to uh, educate uh, as to what that is and what's the best way to accomplish it. Um, you actually have the ability to do so, you know, and, uh, you know, I think one time my dad said to me, 
and uh, I was talking about how I uh, something how I wish it wasn't that way or there there'd be something a different way to do it. And he said, well, you can't um, complain about it if you're not going to do anything about it. You know, and so this is a way for you to be able to be truly knowledgeable in what it is uh, because it was wrong. I had the wrong um, view of what the rule was, right? Um, you know, uh, but something I'll never forget that, uh, and it's it's incredibly important. Ma um, uh, is incredibly important. Uh, uh, please make sure you uh, read those campaigns that come out um, and um, are uh, active in that way. And last thing I'll say, uh, it was about the first advocacy conference that my dad took me to was in Washington, D.C. Um, and I'll never forget what it was like walking the hill with my dad, you know, and having him take me to see his uh, buildings in our nation's capital. I mean, I'll never forget that. That was probably one of my favorite all-time memories. Um, and it's just a really powerful moment, and it um, feels good. People say, oh, my gosh, that's a dumb rule. How did that dumb rule happen? Well, the dumb rule happened by people that don't understand our industry, not not because they're not 100%. smart or smart people. But the expert in our industry are the people watching and listening to this podcast. Those are the people that have to educate our, our political leaders. And if we do that, we don't end up with dumb rules. And when you end up with a dumb rule, man, I'll tell you what, it's hard to unwind them. It takes a long time. <laughs> and yeah. meanwhile, you're putting up with them. Right. And I think AJ makes a really good point. MA is the Mortgage Action Alliance, and uh, we use that both at the state level and at the federal level to do that education that AJ is talking about to make sure that we can educate policymakers on um, you know, some of the, the pieces of legislation that they're considering. So um, the great, great points, everybody. And thank you both for joining us today on the Connect podcast. It's always great to uh, spend time with, uh, with the George family. Um, and thank all of you for joining us today uh, to access any of our Connect podcast episodes. You can follow us on our YouTube channel. We're also available on SoundCloud, um, Apple Podcast, and Spotify. We'll be back next week with another episode of Connect. Take care. You know.